If you are turning with me, we're going to start in John 8. John 8, and I'm going to start in verse 31. And today I want to talk to you about the fruit that you're bringing to the table. Whether you know it or not, you're bringing some fruit to the table. There's this nice big table, and you see that wonderful fruit basket there in the middle. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. And I want to show you how you can remember and forgive. You like to say, we'll forget and forgive, forgive and forget. But today, I want to talk some about remembering and forgiving. Because I believe that's a lot more biblical. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to look at those few things. And I'll start out by asking you, do you want to live a fairy tale life with this wonderful set here? It made me think about once upon a time and fairy tales. And we probably would all say, yeah, I'd like to live a fairy tale life. Yeah, I'd, I love it. Magic and heroes and the villain always dies or gets defeated. Well, if you said yes, then you're in luck. Because I'm giving out happy ever afters today. You get your, you get your happy ever after. But you should know that the same story can produce lies, bitterness, and fear, or truth forgiveness and faith it depends on you and the filter that you put it through the exact same story the same circumstances the same good the same bad the same villains the same storms the same it it can produce either lies bitterness and fear or it can produce truth forgiveness and faith you get to choose. So that's what we're going to talk about today, about living a life of truth. None of our lives are perfect. So what are you going to do with it? Truth, forgiveness, and faith. As we're about to read, Jesus said, equals forgiveness. It equals freedom. That's a, that's a life of freedom. If you live a life of truth and forgiveness and faith, it's freedom. Lies, bitterness, fear, that equals bondage or a slave mentality. I don't want to live my life in bondage. Not free to do the things I want to do or not free to serve God, not free to be powerful. And I don't want to live in chains. And I don't think you do either. But sometimes we choose that. Let's read what Jesus said in John 8, 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. So I just want to say right there, I just want to point out, Jesus was talking to believers. Jesus wasn't trying to convert some people because it told us right there. Then Jesus said to the Jews that already believed in him. All right, so Jesus is talking to believers here. Look what he says. If you continue in my word or you stay or dwell in my word. We've been talking a lot about words the last couple weeks. Then are ye my disciples indeed. 
And ye shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So Dusty Rutherford has a story inside of Jesus. Anything I write outside of him is fiction or fake. I have a story in him. If you tell yourself a lie long enough, you'll start to believe it. You can convince yourself of a lie. So if you let those labels stick on you long enough and you tell those story long enough about stories that go against what God says about you, eventually you're going to believe it. Your actions will follow. The more you practice, the better you get. It says, if you know the truth, if you know the truth, well, Dusty, all you talk about is Jesus. It's the only story I know. He's the only one that gives me life. It's the only one I see fruit from. See, it's, it's the story that gives me hope. It's the story that compels me to forgive. Shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. They answered him. Here they go. They're going to answer Jesus. Okay, now think about what he just said. We be Abraham's seed. And we're never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou ye shall be made free? What? Okay, number one, just to name one, y'all were slaves for 400 years to the Egyptians. Beaten with whips. Y'all built the pyramids. What are you talking about? You've never been a slave to any man. Much less if you do just a little bit of digging and studying. At the time when they said this out of their mouth, they were in bondage to the Romans. They were slaves to the Romans. At that time, they were in bondage and had to do whatever they told them to do. So, what do you mean you've never been a slave to any man? I don't have a problem. It's him and her and her. It wasn't my fault. I don't have a problem. You see the attitude that we're getting here? I know that's none of us, but I know it's some of y'all's family members and you're going to have to deal with them at Christmas. I know it's none of y'all. Take it easy. I don't have a problem. If you don't admit that you have a problem, then you will never be set free from it. You can't, you won't admit you have a problem. You'll never find healing. You'll never walk in true freedom. Also, in that verse we just read where Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Notice the truth both both times there is spelled with the lowercase t. So throughout the Bible when when the truth is spelled with the capital T, it's talking about God. Like remember the scripture where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, capital T and the life. That's God. You know God. In this scripture that we just read, it was a lowercase t. 
So that means it is situational truth. Uh, And they were a little off in the situational truth. They, they, They knew God, right? They knew the capital T truth because it already told us they believed in Jesus. So they knew God, but they were a little bit off on their situational or circumstantial truth. Well, I know God, but they didn't know the truth. So I know God, I just don't have my situation right. I know God, but I'm blaming the wrong person. I I know God, but I'm looking at the wrong things. Oh, it reminds me of what Paul said in Romans. I know what I need to do and I don't do it. And I I know what I shouldn't do and then I do it. there's, There's this war inside of me. So what Jesus say to them after they said, we're not slaves, we don't have a problem. What are you talking about? Verse 34, Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committed sin is the servant of sin. So you're a slave to the sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth, abideth forever. See, Jesus is talking on a little bit higher level, a spiritual level, and talking about the family of God. And he came to redeem us and and that we're sons and daughters. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. You can walk in freedom because of what I'm about to do on the cross. It's a process. I call it the process of truth knowing. If you know the truth, like Jesus said, that you are a son or a daughter of God because of the price that was paid on the cross, that you're a son or a daughter of the king, then you can stay in the story. You can abide. You can live there. You can. Why? You'll have fathers and mothers and sisters and brothers and 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 you'll have coaches and mentors and God places you in a family. God places you in relationship and in community so that you will get what you need to walk in freedom. That you can find healing. That you can get coached. That you can get fathered. places the solitary in families scripture tells us and as you live life in relationship you will grow as long as you don't run away as long as you don't run you're going to grow now when you get a little bit of correction or sometimes when you see a truth that kind of hurts because it shines a flashlight on you the easy thing to do is run the easy thing to do is disappear and run away. I mean, I can't believe he said that to me. Bye. That's the coward. That's the easy thing to do is run when things get hard. That's not what we're called to do. So I got this, I got this little video clip. Y'all got that? 
spot it and give y'all a heads up. I want y'all to watch this coach and these little kids playing basketball and it's really short. But I want you to think about when God places you in a family or on a team. There's all different ways we describe the church and the body of Christ and the family and the community that we're connected to. It can be described as fruit on a vine or a team that we're all players on the same team. So check out this team. That's my bad. I didn't know how long to give you guys. Sometimes on a team, you get confused. Coach is screaming instructions at him. And the coach can't take it. That's his coach. Come on, two. Yeah, I watched it like 27 times. good (laughs) that's his coach all right and the coach was screaming shoot but he started dribbling towards the wrong goal and that coach loved that kid so much and was so invested in the game and did not want him scoring points for the opponent that he stepped in he's mean to me you just embarrassed me in front of all my friends and family you big freaking bully Knocked a five-year-old on the ground. Right, that's how, that's how we feel when somebody steps in, when we're about to really screw something up, when we're about to help the other team, what we're supposed to be standing up against, right? And, and then somebody steps in as a father or as a big brother or as a sister, or somebody steps in and says, no, I won't let you do it. I won't let you throw your family away for a drug. I'm not going to let you score that goal. Look, I've been standing on the sideline. First I said it, then I screamed it, then I was jumping up and down. You won't listen, so I'm going to step in and do something about it. And it's real easy to label helpers as haters. I quit this team. Big freaking hater. Every time I try to take a shot, he knocked me down like he's better than me. Yeah, I mean, you can, you can go ahead and start talking and making up stuff. And like I said a minute ago, after you start telling yourself and other people lies long enough, you'll start to believe it. And all you're doing is justifying the fact that you ran when God said stay. Be careful not to label helpers 
people that God sent into your life to speak his word, to coach you, to guide you, to help you, just because it's painful or embarrassing or when you get called out. Don't label a helper a hater. See, sometimes you're going to go for the wrong goal. We're all human. We all do. Sometimes you're just going to get confused. That kid didn't want to score for the other team. And guess what? In my life, there have been times where I've just been confused. My emotions have got me turned around or, or I've let anger take over for minutes, got me confused and about to do something I'm going to regret. So I need somebody to step in and say, hey, you're not going to score for the other team. It may be a little embarrassing at the time. But if you're part of the team, you're going to have coaches or fathers that will not let you become a champion of the opponent. It's how God designed it. He's a helper, not a hater. Now, when someone calls out the the fruit that you're bringing to the table, I told you we're going to talk about the fruit that you're bringing to the table. So when somebody calls out the fruit that you're bringing to the table, don't just throw up your defenses and your walls. Like, I'm not going to go into it because we looked at for the last two weeks in a row. If you didn't hear it, you can go back and listen to the messages. But our, our scripture that we started out with for two weeks was Proverbs 18, 20, and 21. But basically, we learned that your words are fruit and that you're eating your words, the things that you choose to say every day from the fruit of our lips or our bellies are satisfied. Scripture says, so words are fruit and you eat them. Let me come down here. Come out of the castle for a minute. Down here with you common folk. Just kidding. This is a beautiful fruit basket here. And this is probably how you like to see yourself. This is me and my fruit of the spirit that I've brought to the table. Isn't it beautiful? Look at this. I've got some, I can't see. I got a pineapple and some grapes. Oh, this is real fruit, isn't it? Oh, I thought it might be that fake stuff. Mm. Very good. This is the fruit of the Spirit that I've brought to the table for all of you to enjoy. A little love, a little peace, a little joy. The fruits of the Spirit, or the fruit of the Spirit. Sorry, let me swallow my grape. See, we talked about a few weeks ago that it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not fruits. Or you can't say, like, I have love, but no peace. It's the fruit of the Spirit. 
But here's what we do a lot of times as, as Christians. You know, we want our, we think our basket's like that and it's gonna be so refreshing. And we're gonna come up to somebody that's like RJ over here. He's thirsty from the, from the journey. He's weary from cutting bushes out here and doing all kind of yard work. So I'm gonna come up to him and I'm gonna give RJ some fruit that would help him. He's thirsty, his electrolytes are low. What does he need? Oh, how about a watermelon? Here you go, RJ. I'm prayed up and I'm ready and I got you a watermelon. Here you go, bud. That'll quench your thirst. I look over here and I say, hey, let me reach on in here into my heart and my soul. And let me pull out what Malachi needs today. Kiwi. There you go, brother. Be blessed and filled. The problem is, every time I reach into my basket, it looks like a lemon. It tastes like a lemon. It's ruining their teeth. And every time somebody walks away from an interaction with me, they have a sour taste in their mouth and a funny look on their face. Don't let that be us as Christians. And here's what I've found. When somebody confronts you, hey, that fruit that you're serving, it, ain't, it wasn't that refreshing. Like I, I walked away like not feeling good. I, I walked away with the enamel eating off of my teeth. It didn't like quench my thirst. And then we'll, the lemon guy will turn it back on them. It's your worldly taste buds. Taste bitter in the mouth of a sinner. Right? Wow, we don't want to turn it back on ourselves and think maybe I'm just bringing lemons to the table. Maybe it's me that's not bringing the fruit. Guess what? Lemons are pretty good surrounded by sweetness, like a whole bunch of sweet tea. Or lemonade, the goodness of God, His mercies, they're, they're, they're pretty good. But I don't want to live off of lemons, just plain old lemons. It's missing something. Okay, look at um, Galatians 5.22. Here's what the fruit of the Spirit is supposed to look like. So, so our words are fruit, and we're eating our words. And you know the old saying, you are what you eat. But what are the fruit, what is the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians 5.22. But the fruit, singular, it's a Greek word. It means crop, harvest, or fruit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there's no law. If you grow in love, you should be growing in faith. And if you grow in faith, you grow in goodness. There's more and more inside of you. And this is where I think we've gotten it wrong sometimes because I've heard people say things like this. Uh, oh, well, that's not my gifting. 
and they say a fruit of the Spirit. These aren't talents. These aren't giftings. These aren't even callings. These are fruit that proves that God's Spirit is present in your life. These are proof that God's Spirit is the tree from where you're getting your fruit. It's not a talent to have love or peace or long-suffering or patience or all these things. God gives us gifts. God gives us talents. Those are different. Because like, we all have a different gifting. We all have a different like talent or something that God's called us to do, a different purpose, but we all should love. We all have access to peace. Fruit should be evident in all of us and what we bring to the table. The greatest of all the fruit is love we hear from Paul. But fruit won't grow in a toxic environment. Let me read you those, these last two verses, 24 and 25. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the, with the affections and the lust. If we live, not visit, not occasionally come by, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk or act in the Spirit. He said, okay, if you're living in the Spirit, then act like it. Then why, why am I getting lemons every time I talk to you? If you're living in the Spirit, where's the fruit? If that's a good tree, why has it got rotten fruit? Right? Jesus said, we read it last week, a bad tree can't produce good fruit, and a good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. Check the root. I'm thirsty. Here's a lemon. Don't get mad if somebody calls you out. They might be just helping you. Oh, and here's a warning. When we watch the video, that little video clip a minute ago, when we watch that, if you saw yourself as the coach, you may be the lemon producer. Right? Because... Psychologists tell us that whatever you watch a movie, you put yourself in one of those shoes, whether you realize it or not. So if you put yourself in as the coach, the one that knows the right thing and makes sure everything right, you might be the one handing out lemons. So just check yourself on that. Warning, mental note. I want you to remember that you're the kid too. Right? There's areas in your life where you're headed towards the wrong goal. So how do we treat each other? How do we live life together as a family and, and not grow bitter when there's so many idiots? Right? <laughs> oh, let's look at 1 John 4. We'll find out. 1 John 4, this is old man John. This is the John that was Jesus' best friend, the one that Jesus loved, and then he got to hang out with Jesus pretty much hang out with Jesus' crew and family. And, and Jesus told him at the cross, hey, behold your mother, take care of mom for me. Like it was Jesus' best buddy. 
And now this is later in life. John was figured to be somewhere in his 80s when he wrote this. And look what John had to say. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this way manifested the love of God towards us because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live, how? Through Him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. The Message Bible words it like this. My beloved friends, let us continue to love each other. Since love comes from God, everyone who loves is born of God and experiences a relationship with God. The person who refuses to love doesn't know the first thing about God because God is love. So you can't know Him if you don't love. This is how God showed His love for us. God sent His only Son into the world so we might live through Him. This is the kind of love we are talking about. Not that we once upon a time loved God. Once upon a time. But that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage they've done to our relationship with God. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. I can't believe what they did to Jesus. Beat him and ripped his beard out and humiliated him and, and, and they hung him on a cross and he was the savior of the world and I love him and I can't believe. No. It's what we did. It was my sin. Like John kept saying over and over in what we just read, us. Us. Beloved, let us love one another toward us. It's hard or almost impossible to hate us. It's easy to hate them. When you start separating yourself from different people groups or different flesh problems or different genders or different whatever, it's, it's pretty hard to be mad at us it's you and it's me but it's easy if I start separating people off because I can hate them for that and I can hate him for that and I can hate her for but in love it's us in God's perfect love it's, it's us oh well that makes it a lot easier to, to love you know love conquered death Sin is death. And the power of resurrection is love. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
and love your neighbor as yourself. You know, every time I open my heart to love, I'm transformed from death to life. Jude 1, 21 says, keep yourselves, keep yourselves in the love of God. How? Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. If you're having a hard time keeping yourself in the love of God, then you need to look for mercy. Mercy is not getting something that you deserve, some kind of punishment. If you're having a hard time staying in the love of God, it usually means you've forgotten that you have problems too. He said, keep yourself in the love of God, how? Remember, mercy of God that was for you and for that person you're having a hard time loving. Keep yourself in the love of God. Don't make excuses. I'm not good enough. I don't measure up. I can't reach God's standard. I could never be good enough to be used by God. I'm, you ever had any thoughts like that? I have. Think about it this way. The NBA has a 10-foot standard. It's set. There's no changing it. That rim is 10 feet tall. It's their standard. I want to dunk, but I can't because I can't jump and I'm overweight right like but I would like to be able to dunk I want to enter a dunk contest and and I'm pretty tall I'm six about six well I'm about to say six four I claim six four I'm really like six three and a quarter we're in church I don't want to lie so I'm six three if I lift up my hands straight up in the air like this I can reach a little bit over eight feet tall 8-1 or 8-2 or something like that. So all I have to jump is like two feet to grab the rim. Well, it doesn't really seem fair because y'all know, like, just pick a basketball player like Yao Ming. Well, guess what? He's seven foot six inches tall. When he lifts up his hand, just standing flat-footed on the ground, he can reach like almost reach the rim. He can reach over nine feet. So for him, he's got to jump less than a foot to grab the rim. But the standard is there, so it's, it's way easier for him to reach the NBA's standard. If we enter a slam dunk competition, I'm going to get destroyed because I'm not good enough. I, I'm not tall enough. I can't reach as high. He, he had a better shot than me. He was taller than me. Had... And in the dunk contest, you are measured on how well you meet the standard. With style. Can you do it? Can you do it well? Can you make it look easy? Can you do tricks while you're doing it? Well, what if we just lower it? Like this goal out here in the church parking lot, we lower that baby down to about eight feet and I'll look like a star. 
Most of y'all can't even stop me. I'll just dive over you. Because I'm heavier than you. You'll just like bowling pins. If we lowered the standard enough. But do I really feel good about that when we go to lunch? And I'm like, yeah, I smashed Sky and Connor on an eight-foot goal. <laughs> like, whoa, you're cool. You lowered the standard until you could be good. Hmm. Let me ask you a question. Two guys are late for a flight. One of them is five minutes late. He barely missed the plane. The other one was five hours late. Who missed the flight? Both of them. And neither one of them made it on the plane. That's what scripture says. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God has a standard that's up here and it is no sin. And we all missed it. So it don't matter if I saw them closing the door of the plane and I tried to dive and make it and somebody else didn't come till three days later. We both missed the plane. Neither one of us made it to the destination where God wanted to bring us. Which is, yeah, to heaven, but, but more than that, back into relationship with Him. In relationship with the Holy God, like none of us made it. Does it really matter? We get self-righteous and say, oh, he missed it by a lot more than me. You both missed it. Who cares? God has a standard. And I saw this. I was thinking about basketball, and that video got me thinking about basketball while I was studying. And there was this, this video and this poor kid. He was a seventh grader. And he was playing in a game, and he got to start with the eighth grade team. So he was nervous, and he's telling the story and whatever. And his mom was videoing. And the game's almost over. In the fourth quarter, they had to score. It was super, or it's not even quarters in basketball, is it? Period, is it? Uh, and the kid needed to score. So he comes across half court with the ball, and the opposing crowd... Starts a countdown. Three, two. He panics and just shoots the ball from where he is. The last hope. And the ball goes up. And the shot misses. And the other team gets it. And he's like, where's the buzzer? Why did the buzzer not go off? And he looks at the board. And there's three and a half minutes left on the board. They tricked him into taking a half-court shot. And the other team got the ball and drove down and scored, and they lost the game. And I heard the guy telling the story now as an adult, but he said it was, like, devastating. Like, he got tricked by their crowd on a fake countdown. Some of y'all think it's over. You listen to some wrong voices and... And you thought time was up. But love and grace says take another shot. Perfect love casts out fear. Psalm 103. Psalm 103.10. David wrote this. 
he hath not dealt with us after our sins nor rewarded us according to our iniquities for as the heaven is high above the earth so great is his mercy toward them that fear him as far as the east is from the west so far hath he removed our transgressions from us not as far as the north is from the south because we can measure that we have the north pole and the south pole and and that that we can measure but as far as the east is from the west is considered immeasurable infinity it just keeps going and going and going and going and going did david know that back when he wrote this psalm infinity you're not a slave to your sin anymore you've been brought from death to life you don't have to keep producing that fruit you don't have to keep bringing death fruit to the table you know the fruit of unforgiveness is bitterness don't keep bringing the fruit of bitterness to the table check the root I'll tell you that one. There's the root. Root of bitterness is unforgiveness. Isaiah 43, 25 says, I, even I, am he, this is God talking, that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake. Wait. I blot out your transgressions for my own sake, God said. I do it for me. What? And will not remember thy sins. But that part kind of got me. God said, I do it for my sake, not yours. Hebrews 8, 12 says, Their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. See, God chooses to forget. Well, that must be nice. God chooses to forget our sins and our iniquities and our mistakes and our problems. He chooses that. Did you know that people can block out memories? Some people have blocked out whole sections of their childhood or whole sections from from trauma or hurt or pain or severe abuse People block out whole parts of their life. And they act like it never happened. And it's usually because of hurt or pain or trauma. Something that's hard to deal with. And almost always psychologists say it was from something that was out of their control. So like a little kid that's getting abused or something that they can't control. Your brain can block that out and make you forget it. Can I remind you that we're created in God's image? And that is an attribute of God. I choose to forget. Why? to preserve relationship and promote healing and forgiveness. To produce healthy fruit. 
God created us for a relationship, to love and to be loved. And, and every time we choose sin, the price is death. And it hurt God. It grieved his heart, Scripture says. So he forgets. And I've heard people say, well, God will give you a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance and a fifth chance and a thousand chances. And that's not true. Because with God, every time it's a second chance. Because he forgot all those other times. He said, I don't hold it against you. He said, I don't even remember it. So to God, this is the first time you ever messed up. So every single time God says, here's your second chance, son. Here's your second chance because... Unlike people, God doesn't hold your past against you. He chooses to forget. Could he remember if he wanted to? Yep. But he chooses to forget. He chooses what he will remember. It's always a second chance with God. But if he just forgot, then... If God just looks at sin and says, oh, it's okay, and turns a blind eye and says, okay, you can hurt people and you can rob and steal and you can do every kind of sin and it's okay, and then he would fail to be God because God is just. Why do you even have to put that dumb tree in the garden for Adam and Eve? Like if he, if he didn't put that dumb tree and they didn't choose sin, then, then we wouldn't even have to worry about this and there would be no problems and there'd be no hurt and there'd be no pain and there'd be no love. Because love is a choice. You see, love without choice is not love at all. Love is a choice. God didn't make a bunch of puppets. Even though he knew we would mess up, he did it for love. So for love, God chooses to forgive us. And if we want to really love God and people, right? if we want to stay in the story, if we want to produce the fruit of the Spirit, then we must forgive Forgive just means to let go. There's no peace in wrath. That's a fruit we're supposed to all have. There's no peace in bitterness. There's no hope in anger. There's not. We must forgive if we want to bring good fruit to the table. Let me tell you just a couple of thoughts on forgiveness and we're done. Forgiveness and unforgiveness, neither of them can change your past. Neither one. Whether you forgive somebody or you don't forgive somebody, you're not changing what happened in the past. You're not changing your mistakes or somebody else's mistakes or problems. Or you, they don't change your past, but both change your future. So you choosing to forgive or not forgive, they're both a process. In fact, they're both a painful process. And they both affect your future. One in a very positive way and one in a very negative way. Neither of them change 
the past, but both will affect your future. Think of it like a GPS. It's leading you somewhere, forgiveness or unforgiveness. They're, they're taking you somewhere. Which one are you choosing, to love or hate, life or death? Forgiveness does not always lead to restoration. Somebody needs to know that. It doesn't. And we think for real forgiveness to happen, there has to be a restoration. That's not true. Forgiveness doesn't always lead to restoration. Sometimes it leads to closure, but it always leads to healing. Forgiveness is to let go, to untie the boat. And you can untie the boat from in the boat or on the dock. In the perfect world, both people untie the boat, one in the boat and one on the dock. But guess sometimes they're dead or they're unwilling or it's not. So you untie your end. You let go because it's affecting you. It always leads to healing. And I remind you, you only have grace for today. God doesn't give you grace to carry things from yesterday. You're carrying all this unforgiveness, well then it becomes too heavy to carry what you're supposed to carry today. And you're trying to walk into your future carrying more than you can carry. You have grace for today. Don't borrow worry from tomorrow and don't carry worry from yesterday. Forgetting happens when you remember. So don't try to forget. Don't sit there. The person that hurt you or wronged you or the problem, don't sit there and just try to forget it, try to forget it, try to forget it. Forgive and forget, forgive and forget, forgive and forget, forgive and forget. Not going to work. In fact, it's going to make it worse. It's going to make it bigger because it's what you're focusing on. Don't try to forget. Colossians 3.13 says, Do not become angry with each other. If you think that someone has done something wrong against you, forgive them. Remember. What? Remember that the Lord has forgiven you. So you should also forgive other people. Paul always reminds us to remember. Remember. Remember what, we see it all throughout the New Testament. Remember what God did for you. Remember that he loved you. Remember how much he loved you so that you can love other people. Remember that God forgave you so you can forgive other people. See, you can focus on what they did to you or what Jesus did for you. That's your choice. Joseph had a real rough time. Had this great dream and calling from God and his brothers beat him up, rejected him, ripped his coat off, and sold him into slavery. Human trafficking. Sold him as a slave and all kind of bad stuff happened to him. He got falsely accused and he kept trying to do the right thing and nothing was working out for him and everything was going bad. But somehow God used it And he ended up being the second most powerful man on the planet Earth at that time. Pharaoh was the only person alive in his day that had more power than him. And then guess what happened? God delivered his haters on a silver platter. 
his brothers. They were literally starving to death and they showed up at his door bowing down in front of him and didn't even recognize him because he had the nice tan and the Egyptian makeup and the headgear and stuff. They didn't even notice him. And it would have been lawful and right for Joseph to have them executed. It was in his power and it wouldn't have even been questioned. Kill them all. If he had unforgiveness, what do you think? What if I brought the person in here that's hurt you the most in your life? Or, or, or as far as Joseph, what if I brought the 12 people in here that have hurt you more than anybody else in the world and I stood them in front of you and you had the power to hurt them back? Would you? Or are you healed? Are you healthy? Or you got some bitterness still going on? They got delivered to him on a silver platter. And, and the Bible tells us that he started crying. And that he didn't remember the pain. The Bible says in Genesis 42, 9, that Joseph remembered the dream. And he fed him. He chose to remember the dream that God gave him. And even though they meant it to hurt him, like it got him where he was supposed to be. He was the second most powerful man on earth because of what they did to him. Even though it was pain, even though it hurt, Joseph chose to remember the dream. Joseph chose to remember how much he had grown, not the pain. That's how he forgave him. He remembered God instead of remembering the pain. What I let take residence in my heart becomes my compass. In, in Genesis, the last part of that story, in Genesis... Uh, Genesis 40 it's like two verses Genesis 41 Genesis 41 51 this is before the brothers showed up they're in the middle of a famine and Joseph called the name of his of the firstborn Manasseh. For God said, he hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. What? He forgot the pain. And verse 52 says, in the name of the second called he Ephraim. For God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Joseph said, God made me forget the pain, all of my toil, my father's house. I choose to forget it. And God has made me fruitful. In this land of pain, things weren't restored with his family yet. He hadn't even seen his brothers yet. Nothing, it wasn't fixed. They hurt me. But God healed me. See, they broke my heart. 
And God made it bigger. They took my coat. And God gave me favor. When I look back on 2020, there's been a lot of pain and loss and things I can't understand or explain. But I will choose not to remember the pain. But I'll remember God. I'll remember the fruit. I'll remember the growth. I'll even remember the coach that knocked me on my butt so that I don't shoot at the wrong goal again. Ephraim. In the land of pain, famine, they called him fruitful. So I call 2020 fruitful. Let's pray. God, thank you. God, thank you for speaking to our hearts and our minds. God, thank you for being a real God that loves us and cares about us and gets all up in our business. Help us to welcome the helpers. Give us the strength to stand in times that we feel like running. God, we want to grow. We want to produce good fruit. We want to be life to the people around us. Thanks for grace and mercy. Thanks for picking us up every time we fall. We love you. Thanks for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.